We got a TikTok update. And it's not good. It's not a good one. It's not the type of update that TikTok wants to have out there right now. And you know what's funny? It's not actually an update. Well, it's an update in the sense that we're finding out about it now, but it's kind of an investigation that dove uh, back into the origin, into the history of TikTok. Oh, okay. And it's news that's surfacing today about how TikTok has been for over a year in violation of Android policies when it comes to acquiring device-specific data in the form of a MAC address. Now, each device that's out there in the world has its own identifier when it connects to the internet. You've heard of this thing. It's called a MAC address. It's unique only to that specific device. Mm. And if you have this information, you can do some... Uh, you can gather some information, some intel, on a, on a, on a much more inti intimate level. Mm. And you can target people on a much more intimate level. And to be honest with you, we probably can't even imagine the scope to which this could be a powerful tool for you to have. And, and how powerful it must be to be outlawed completely by both app stores, by the way, iOS and Android. However, TikTok had been using for about a year a loophole in order to continue to acquire MAC addresses from its users. Now, this information is becoming public. I mean, The Verge is writing about it. Others have wrote, wrote about it. The story broke on the Wall Street Journal. It was their investigation that uncovered the practice. Mm -hmm. The question that we have is, was, was this, could this have been a component in the government analysis of the app and the subsequent uh, potential banning, the situation we're in right now, did they have access to this evidence in advance and say, oh, we got solid stuff here, that they're doing some shady things that are not even approved by the app stores in which they sit? Mm -hmm. It's quite possible. Uh, this type of behavior has been banned in the iOS app store and the Google Play store since 2015. I don't know if I need to remind you. Well, that's five years ago. We're in 2020 right now. Are we? Yeah. yeah. Five years in internet land is uh, like 50 mm. in real life. So that means this that this would they would likely have been well aware of what they were doing. Right. They would likely have been well aware that it was a bit shady or unacceptable or at least not uh, encouraged. And on the far end of the spectrum, uh, not not approved. Uh, that they were that they were intentionally trying to get around this thing. Now, recently, they've responded saying, look, we don't do that anymore. We apologize. I don't know if they said we apologize, but they said we don't do that anymore. We don't plan on continuing to do it. They discontinued the practice, in fact, in November of last year when things started to heat up around regulation and analysis of what they were doing and the growth and the American CEO and the campus in Los Angeles. Hmm. You see where I'm going here. Mm -hmm. So this particular finding, if it's to be believed, it acts as, uh, well, it's a smoking gun. <laughs> no, I don't know. Look, the Huawei thing was going around and around. And they said, oh, it's spying. And then it's like, let's see the evidence. And they're like, well, we can't really show you everything. We'll show you this. And it's on the Reddit, and this guy sees this, and that guy disputes that. And that's just daily life. We have to deal with that. It's almost everything is disputed. Everything has the two sides going on. 
But then the government will tell you, no, we know for certain that there's a problem here. And rarely do we end up with a piece of evidence like this that just says, hey, this stuff was clearly in violation. We have evidence they collected these MAC addresses. We have evidence that they used it in a fashion that was not approved of by either of these app stores. And now the customer gets access to this information and gets mm -hmm. to determine whether or not they trust this company moving forward. Mm -hmm. And they want to continue to participate. Now, I know a lot of people, and I, I feel that I, I mean, it seems like I have to go over this ground so consistently. A lot of people feel, my data, my data. I'm a guy. What do I do? What am I out here doing? What are they going to bother me with? And I, look, there's something tempting about that position. You get to just live your life on the web, never think about it, never worry about it. But the reality of the situation is never that convenient. It's always somewhere deeper inside of there that you don't necessarily know what the effect of the compromise is. Mm -hmm. And this is the data business, Will. You don't know where it impacted you. You don't know where it persuaded you. You don't know how your actions have changed because of this access. Mm -hmm. Now, it is funny that the companies that are collecting so much data from us, like Google, are the ones to enforce this particular thing. They know about data. They buy and sell data. Don't. Yes. They're in the data business. I don't know how much buying and selling, but they're in the data business. So it is interesting that it comes from them. And it is interesting that they were the ones that were exploited for a number of years, even though this particular practice has been outlawed since 2015. One thing this does do for certain is it showcases, it shows us that TikTok was doing things that were a little bit, and many others for the record have done the same. There's over 350 apps mm -hmm. in, uh, cited in this particular article. 350 apps in the Google Play Store had taken advantage of that loophole in order to determine the exact device and how to leverage the data extracted from the exact device. It's an important component. This is extra work you have to do to put this in there. So what are you looking for, huh? What do you want? Yeah, this is uh, just another major blow for TikTok. Mm. They just can't... Uh, it's, not a good, it's not good timing. Yeah. It's not good timing. And, you know, the next story actually takes this a, a step further because I have been wondering what the effect and impact of a TikTok ban would, would be, what that would look like, and then if it were to span in, into the other Chinese applications, technology companies, if it were to touch Tencent, if it were to touch WeChat, what would the consequences be for companies like Apple? And we spoke about how it might be possible that the iPhone could be doomed in China, if anything were to happen to these core apps, these important apps, uh, to the Chinese public. And then I started to wonder if Trump could even touch what the App Store looks like in China, because we already know it doesn't look exactly the same as it does in North America. Mm -hmm. There are some concessions. So the speculation started to come out that, well, WeChat, the absence of WeChat could significantly hurt the iPhone, as you just showcased on that on that article. But can Trump do the thing in the first place? And then I come upon this article. It's an exclusive from Reuters. A, a U.S. ban on TikTok could cut it off from app stores and advertisers. Okay, so we get into the nitty gritty. We get some language as to what this order looks like here. And this is really interesting, okay? I'm going to do the quote for you. Hmm. Prohibited transactions may include, for example... 
agreements to make the TikTok app available on app stores, purchasing advertising on TikTok, and accepting terms of service to download the TikTok app onto a user device. That's wide open. That's wide open. Transactions. We were all wondering, what is this transaction thing? Is it, a, is it a financial transaction? Is it an information transaction? Is it any type of transaction at all? Prohibited transactions may include agreements to make the TikTok app available on app stores, period. Apple has an app store. Apple is an American company. If you remember what happened with Huawei, the U.S. was able to impose sanctions on companies that were not based in the U.S. but wanted to continue to do business in the U.S. Hmm. Companies like TSMC and others. Mm -hmm. I'm starting to think there's a way that he could keep these apps out of the app store globally because of the base of these app stores, these app stores existing and being serviced and essentially transacting from American soil. Mm or with American headquarters, transacting. And I'm going to go to the next part of it, which is, let's say even he can't do that. Let's say he can't do that. Let's say the transaction piece, from that standpoint, that standpoint on the existence within the App Store is limited to the banning only within the United States. Well, what about this one? Purchasing advertising on TikTok. Well, who, where would those advertisers come from? The United States? Presumably for that market, for the American market, if the thing has any potential to hang around. Mm -hmm. If you could prohibit the purchasing of advertising, you'd nerf the company anyways. If you can prohibit American firms from transacting with TikTok in that fashion, you're taking in a, a tremendous amount of potential revenue right off the table. Yeah, advertisers pay the bills. Pay the bills. Yeah. It's the content business. So this looks wider reaching. And again, this is could be interpreted in a number of ways and it isn't, it's not implemented. There was a timeline on it. It was 45 days. We didn't know how it was going to be enforced and implemented. But I'll tell you what. That's a transaction between Apple, an American company, and TikTok, a ByteDance Chinese company. Mm. Whether it's in the App Store in the U.S. or anywhere else, it's a transaction mm. between those two companies. There's a benefit to both parties inside of that transaction. So this could be huge. This could be way bigger than we ever imagined. If all of a sudden all these Chinese apps get sucked out of the American app stores, regardless of where they're doing business, the international potential will the Chinese potential for American brands out the window. Mm -hmm. Now, it's important for us to also say there's only one American brand doing business in China. Mm. Right? It's not Google. It's not Facebook. Samsung's basically out of there and they're not American, but North, uh, Korean. This is, this would directly, this would massively be hurtful to Apple. I mean, we, we've heard, uh, speculation somewhere in the neighborhood of 30% of their business right. might be in China and through the app store in China. Yeah. They've invested there where others were a little bit more, I don't know. I don't know. Or they weren't allowed in the first place, whatever it happens to be. 
So this is big stuff, really big stuff and massive implications. Imagine a future, Will, a future in which the iPhone has no business in China and Chinese phones don't have any business elsewhere. I mean, you're really creating some, those imaginary lines mm -hmm. that go around these places, they start to turn into technological barriers. Yeah. Barriers in the digital space. Digital barriers. Physical. The yeah. great, the new type of great wall. Ooh. Well, they already did it right with the Great Firewall, but this is even another level when you start talking about trade and trade in the digital sense. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's massive stuff. Speaking of how massive it is, according to the maker of the iPhone, Han Hai, who you're aware of, Taiwanese, Foxconn, better known as, they, the, they say China's days as the world's factory are over. That's coming from Foxconn. And you probably have been following the thing. They've been diversifying the number of places in which they manufacture goods. Mm -hmm. On behalf of Apple and others, they do business with uh, companies more than Apple. They're massive. Foxconn is massive. I mean, they're Brazil and they're all over the place. Mm -hmm. so, uh, Southeast Asia. They're yep. all over the place. India. Yep. They're all over the place. And this is big. Because th this, is, this is one of those situations where you've got a source very close to the matter. You've got a source responsible for a tremendous amount of manufacturing. A reliable source. Now, maybe there's some sort of political incentive to say something like this to try to get China to loosen up. It might be beneficial to them. But they continue to decrease their Chinese footprint as they increase their footprint elsewhere. Hmm. A key supplier to Apple Inc., and a dozen other tech giants plans to split its supply chain between the Chinese market and the U.S., declaring that China's time as factory to the world is finished because of this trade war. Han Hai Precision Industry Co. Chairman Young Liu said it's gradually adding more capacity outside of China, which is the main base for its production. They do iPhones, Dell desktops, Nintendo Switches. The proportion outside the country is now at 30% up from 25 last June, and it's going to continue to increase. It's not feasible. It's not productive. Yeah. These, these tariffs are hurting. Mm -hmm. And it's coming off the bottom line. And you're sitting there looking at the device saying, well, I can make this somewhere else, can't I? Mm -hmm. And I think there was a period of time where there was some lag time in developing those other facilities and developing that uh, assembly know-how in other markets. And we're at a point now where the proof of concept is out there. Mm -hmm. We talk on this show a lot about India, specifically. Same thing. Impose the tariffs. Impose the tariffs, incentivize the local assembly, and boom, simple, done. Now we got a bunch of jobs and we're doing it here. Mm -hmm. I and mean, the it's iPhones just, don't cost twice as much because of tariffs. These are these are different uh, levers you can pull, buttons you can press, and knobs you can turn. When you're in yes. power, will you can make these adjustments? You can do stuff like this, and and it is having an impact, and it will have an impact. The ratio is the ratio will rise 
as the company, also known as Foxconn, moves more manufacturing to Southeast Asia and other regions to avoid escalating tariffs on Chinese-made goods headed to the U.S. This means, I think there's a few countries listed here. I mean, it includes India. It includes the Americas. Even, even the United States of America. Who knows what kind of incentives they can cut. Maybe they end up in Texas right next to Tesla. Mm. It's not impossible, is it? No. I don't think it is. I mean, it seems like it might be expensive to do business there. Yeah. But if the tariffs are offsetting yeah. the cost of doing business and possibly cheaper labor, then you end up flush anyway. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to move the product around or be as, uh, what should I say, um, fragile. Like there's a, there's a certain uh, weakness in being at the whim. If your customer base is over there and there's a guy in power who can, as I mentioned, flip a switch and all of a sudden, I mean, they're... They got this uh, tariff stuff on billions, hundreds of billions. They got this, they can, he, they can just wipe it out. All of a sudden, increasing the cost of those goods mm -hmm. substantially in a moment's notice. So you want to be diversified. You want to have these factories around the world. It gives you more flexibility on where you can send the thing and how you can be competitive. Mm-hmm. Days as the world's factory are done, coming from Foxconn. Foxconn, who built its business on the back of China as a factory, mm. didn't they? Mm -hmm. It's big news, and it's bigger news because of who it's coming from. I need to put this in uh, perspective for you here. The Taiwanese company reported better than expected net income of $778 million for the quarter ending in June boosted by demand for iPads and MacBooks. Remember, iPads and MacBooks doing well because of the lockdown, even though the phones, maybe not as much. They talk about having lost in certain relationships with key customers like Xiaomi, who suffered backlash in the Indian market, losing $100 million in the first half. Hanhai's other customers have fared less well. Hong Kong-listed subsidiary FIH Mobile said in its August 7th earning calls that uh, while Huawei technology's new phones have been popular in China, they missed expectations elsewhere. So Huawei, Xiaomi. The places, the companies where it would make total sense for Hanhai or Foxconn to be doing business in China and also manufacturing in China, Chinese brands. Even those ones suffering elsewhere. Hmm. Like the export market shriveling up. So Foxconn, to a certain extent, is saying, we don't have to be part of that Taiwanese company. Right? We can be anywhere. We could be over here. We could be over there. We're, like I said, Brazil over here, but they don't have to be tied down in the same fashion. Right. They have a certain amount of autonomy in who they do business with and who they answer to. Mm -hmm. Taiwan is its own. It, this gets, it gets a little squirrely. The history, you want to look at the history, Taiwan, China, I, I'm always interested in it. You know, I'll hit the wikis. I'll get on it. I, you know, I've been to these places, so I get curious. Mm -hmm. And I want to learn about the history a little bit. And I'm sure there's people watching this who are, aware of it but uh you know taiwan's an island relatively it has some independence to it yeah this is 
that China may disagree. There's a, there's a political thing going on. It's a, sort of a Hong Kong type of vibe to it. But at this moment, it is somewhat independent mm-hmm. and has some degree of autonomy. And whether it's TSMC or if it's uh, Foxconn, there are benefits to that. But those same benefits could very quickly come under the microscope of that monster sitting right... I mean, I'm not saying... I'm saying scale-wise. China's sitting right there staring at your little island. Sitting right there saying, oh, you're going to take all this business? Oh, you like the United States? Mm. I mean, I'm just talking. I'm just a guy talking. Yeah. But it's... These little alliances and allegiances and trade deals and diversifications and it's all so interesting, isn't it, Will? Yeah, they they all matter. It all matters. It all matters. Mm-hmm. But you got to be, I mean, you got to know in the head office over there, in the government, in China, they read a headline like this. They say, we'll see about that. Mm-hmm. They read a headline from their pal over at Foxconn, China's days as the world factory is over. And they say, oh, really? We'll see about that. Yeah, they're not happy about it. We'll see about that. Hmm. But anyway, shout out Foxconn. I don't disagree. If you got a business that's doing well, you got high profile customers, you diversify. You you do what you can do. You do your best. Mm-hmm. I understand. Microsoft Surface Duo arrives on September 10th. $1,399. What do you say, Will? Is that a good price? Um, Yeah, I would say so. Hmm. Not bad. Well, it? some people have be, begun to talk about the spec list as not being that impressive. So you're going up against the flagship devices at that price point. Now, it's such a different device with the dual screens. Is it a phone? Like, what is this thing? But it is a bit weird to look at a price like $1,400 and then to scroll through the specs and you see 1800 by 1350 resolution on each of the two displays. Mm. You scroll a little further and you see... Uh, a battery listed at 3,577 milliamp hours. Of course, compared to something like the Note at 4,500. You would have thought with such a big form factor, you could have slammed a battery in it. Now, I'm not trying to be negative. I think this thing's very exciting. Mm -hmm. I love new form factors. Mm -hmm. The hinge, the design, there could be good reason. Got to be thin and light. Uh, The other piece that I think everybody would have wanted is the latest generation Snapdragon because you actually only have an 855 in here. What's the latest? What? 65. 65. And there's an 865 plus, plus, which this you would assume would be some sort of a powerhouse device. All that aside, I just felt I had to put that out there because the thing's been in development for a while. Six gigs of RAM, 256 storage. No 5G either. But all all that aside, I mean, I just want to get that out of the way because otherwise, very exciting. And you know what's exciting to me is how they're going to handle the software. Because as you saw... Actually, if you just scroll back up, what you see, he launches directions via maps and you see how it comes up on the second screen. Mm. So Microsoft is a software company and they've really been working with Android now for a while to perfect this thing or at least provide, figure out a way in which to make two screens worthwhile. Yeah, they're all about productivity. Productivity. And we've seen dual display devices, we've seen folding devices, but it's been a little questionable, at least on Android, even with dual display support, it's been a little questionable about how useful it would be and what the uh, core usage would look like for the secondary display. So Microsoft has been working through AI to figure out 
based on which app you're using, how to best utilize the secondary display. Mm. And the example that you just saw was a, was a perfect showcase of that. That you could be in maps on the left-hand screen, click directions, keep all the details about your destination up, and then it would say, oh, he probably wants to bring the directions on the second display. We got it to use it. It's sitting there ready to be used anyways. Mm. And that's how the thing gets smart. Plus, dragging, I mean, it's pretty cool. The other advantage here with going with a dual display setup as opposed to some sort of a folding display, you get Gorilla Glass on both sides. Mm. You get that nice glass touch, not like the sort of more plasticky hybrid situation that you have on the other folding devices. And knowing that you can shut it, it's just extra protection, I mm -hmm. guess. So. It's, a, it's a shut, it's a no crease. Now you have a big, you have a bezel in the middle. Mm -hmm. But the displays each individual are pretty big, even though they're not the highest resolution. They're 5.6 inches each, OLED. Now, another thing that people are curious about is the cameras, because uh, Panos Panay kept sharing photos that weren't the greatest quality photos, and people were saying, I sure hope those photos weren't shot on another uh, Surface Duo product. Mm. But look at that. Look at this. I mean, it looks fun. It's a bit big. But people said the same thing about the Note in the early days. Yeah. I remember Dell had a huge phone. It was a five-inch phone in the old days, and people said, you're crazy, five-inch yeah. phone. What were you're, you thinking? You're nuts. But the truth of the matter is, how many times are you putting a phone up to your head per day? Not very often. We're using it in different ways. So anyway, it's, a, it's, it's available for pre-order. I am most excited to see the merging of Microsoft's software ideas with what's already there on Android. The, the aesthetic looks to be very Android still, but some of those little touches, like how it utilizes the two displays in different scenarios, is what I'm most excited for. And of course, we're going to have one here on the show, and, uh, and I'll, be do, I'll be running it, I'll be putting it through, through its paces. Mm -hmm. As you should. As I should, and as I would, as I do, and as I could. Yes. <laughs> Google and Qualcomm joined $230 million investment in Nokia phone maker HMD Global. HMD Global, the home of Nokia phones. Nokia, obviously, my goodness, early days, everybody knows. Big time feature phones, number one phone maker for a long time up there, up there in the northern part of Europe. What is it, Finland? Mm. I mean, just a classic. You play the snake on there. and. Legend. Dominant, absolutely dominant company. Yeah. And then they kind of faded away. They were hanging in there. Uh, a couple of, I remember the iconic one with the yellow one. What was that? The Lumia? The Lumia 1020. Yeah. Yep. I remember making a video about that down on King Street. I don't know if you remember those days, Will. Oh, yeah. You remember those days? Yeah, this yeah. thing was all about the camera. We had never seen it before. It was Windows Phone. But of course, they made the bets in the wrong places. And here we are today. Mm. Could have just done Android sooner and... Could have been a different story. But there was a lot going on in the marketplace. And it was a tough transition, it appears, from the dumb phone to the smartphone. In fact, they kept selling feature phones well into the smartphone era mm -hmm. and doing half decent with it. So anyhow, the company, at least the phone component, turned into this or came under the umbrella of this new company, uh, HMD Global. And... They have a lot of plans, Will. They're raising money from some real big-time players, including Google, Qualcomm. I mean, who else do you need? 
And it's the reason I've brought it up on this show, this particular story, is because they're uniquely poised right now, uniquely poised to uh, suck up some of the extra uh, juice that's out there that has has uh, recently become available in the presence of the whole trade situation. So the, you know, there's the difficulties with the Xiaomi's and the Huawei's and the and all the rest of it. I mean, mostly the Huawei, but maybe also people becoming more sensitive to these brands in the first place and the flow of their data, the banning of apps and all the rest of it. So here's what happened with HMD. This is this is the key right here. Founded in 2015, primarily to design and market Nokia-branded mobile phones with Foxconn subsidiary FIH, who I talked about in a recent story. Okay, so Foxconn already a little bit separated from the get-go, from some of the heat that's going on right now in the world. Mm -hmm. They kind of are somewhat autonomous to a certain degree. Then they go ahead and actually move their data centers. HMD Global shifted its data centers last year from Singapore to Finland in a, in a partnership with Google Cloud, a move that will go some way toward allying data privacy concerns, allaying. That's not allying, allaying. I guess uh, it means um, uh, satisfying people's concerns around data privacy. And this is what we've been talking about. A future in which the location of the data center is what people, what a customer might actually be looking at. How crazy is that? I mean, that's great. It's going to what, Finland? Finland. That's so peaceful. See, you're fine with you that. Know, you're like, great. Finland? What are they going to do with my data? <laughs> <laughs> if somebody's gonna have my data why not finland well finland of course it's the, that's the origin the nokia origin yeah. situation right so but this is the smart moves that foxconn Hanhai. these are the smart moves they're making you see all these little they look small this is hmd right now accounts for one percent one percent of the smartphone market it's really nothing it's tiny but these little moves diversify that business and Place their chips in different places. Mm. And I I'm not I can't say for certain, but you start getting investments from Qualcomm and Google into the brand, it should act as some indication that they see a kind of uh, refuge, that they see this as being uh, a, a positive place to invest in. Obviously, they've done the investment and uh, with higher potential than where it is currently. Because yeah. of all these ge geopolitical, technological landscape things that are going on. This is a very smart move for them. See? You know, with uh, Snapdragon, Qualcomm, and then you have Android and Google. And then you have the brand Nokia, which is very global. People know it know? and are comfy really with friendly. it. And you have the data center in Finland, mm. which seems like a neutral location. Yeah. For most people yeah. that they could be all right with it. So anyways, big things happening for them. They've uh, they've raised a hundred million originally in 2018. That they, they have they have uh, you know some some pretty deep pockets. Their valuation has passed a billion dollars, and we haven't even. I mean, they're working on devices. We'll see what happens. But this could be one of those uh, sweetheart little darling type. Uh, who knows what we're gonna see? Mm -hmm. We might we might be looking at an HMD device, a resurgence of the Nokia Nokia brand, 
in a time where there's really, truly an opportunity for a Finland-based smartphone. Wild. Yeah. Come Very back. Cool. The latest Google phone app beta can now be installed from the Play Store on pretty much any phone. This, I, I, I bring up this story because it showcases sort of a hope of mine, which is that your app selection, even for your stock apps, is completely up to you. And if you want the stock Google apps, I, w I wish that all of them would be made available in the Play Store and could be installed on any device. That would be amazing if you, I mean, the phone, the dialer app, obviously people don't care about normally as much, but the camera app would be amazing if it was there. Mm. I've had to sideload it in the past and then it's kind of wonky. Uh, obviously messages, they let you do. Most manufacturers, that's an easy enough, like on OnePlus, they actually, on the Nord, they gave up on it. They just put the Google messages in it from the, mm. from the jump. You you like a feature that's in the dialer with the uh, uh, call screening. Yep. And actually, that that feature won't work right now on devices other than the Pixel devices. Right. Even though you can get this uh, the phone app in the App Store or in the Play Store as it stands right now, and it'll so it'll mostly work outside of a couple of key features on devices from OnePlus, Samsung, and a variety of others, and. But the key thing to me is, is this got my imagination going about sort of how we, how Google looks at the Android landscape. And I understand they want to sell Pixel phones, but I would like to envision a future in which the amazing software that they create is available across multiple manufacturers and working properly, whether it's, because the idea that they come out with a feature that you really like, like the the call screening thing. Mm -hmm. No one's going to, you know, a small, a small percentage of people use pixel devices. Mm -hmm. So you spend all this time perfecting this really amazing thing, sophisticated thing, all the machine learning, alg I mean, it's incredible. Mm -hmm. And then people use a Samsung phone, mm -hmm. right? And then they got Bixby instead of assistant, which that's changing now, but if it was just in the app store and it all worked really easily and it could just strictly be installed on any on any hardware, you would just have such a, a you would have a much larger user base and more people able to experiment and more people able to use it. And I just imagine how great all the photos would look if everybody on Android could use Google's camera app. Just tomorrow, it would be an improvement. At least in my experience, in most cases, that camera app is an improvement. And maybe this is a is an early indication that that could happen. It's just the phone app, but you can get it in a Play Store. Mm -hmm. So it's a kind of an interesting development. Could have implications for the future of Android, and uh, we'll see where that goes. Another new feature here that applies to Google phones, but also other Android phones. I saw this one was making the rounds in my feed. You can. It's uh, going to turn any Android phone, most Android phones, into earthquake detectors giving you early warnings of seismic activity. This is this is really interesting. I, I don't know much about earthquakes, but apparently very minor very minor movements and vib vibrations can be detected well before an earthquake actually takes place. That they that they can predict okay, an earthquake's going to happen. And we all have these phones in our pockets that have surprisingly sensitive 
uh, motion-based sensors in them, uh, accelerometers and things like this. And you stick enough of them together and you have them working in tandem and they can pick up patterns mm -hmm. in movement. I guess when you put it on your desk or something, it's just idle. Like it's not shaking. And the earth kind of... But even imagine you're, stand, you're standing up or sit, like I'm sitting down. What if it's in my pocket right now? And but it, you're, you're moving, aren't you? Am I? A little bit. And, but But the phone isn't going like... Yeah. I'm moving my hand around. Maybe it is. Uh, let, let, look, Shake Alert gets data from over 700 size seismometers across California, and understandably, Android users in the state will be the first to get this feature. But when they sign up for it, called Android Earthquake Alert System, they'll be feeding data into as many seismology sensors. In effect, Google is growing its own network of Android phone owners who feed seismic data into the system which can then sort it out to figure out if, if an earthquake is happening and warn users appropriately. So this will apply to places that don't even have proper seismometers. Seismometers. Making Google's phone-powered alert network the only advanced warning system in certain parts of the world. Hmm. So, so, I mean, I don't know. In this video... It's very uh, attractive to look at. It's very animated. You love the animation. Yes, I do. Look at this. Tells you what to do in a case of an earthquake. Shows the animals. They don't like the earthquake either. Oh, cool. Phones will send seismic data to the Android earthquake alert system, letting Google crowdsource enough information to determine when and where earthquakes are hitting and alerting Android users accordingly. Now, you obviously have to opt into this thing if you want to take part, uh, if you want to be a part of this huge network. And there are some questions that aren't answered here, like does the phone have to be on a table? A battery or, issue. Or does it work if it's in your pocket? But presumably they'll find a way to figure out which seismic activity to pay attention to. I mm. tend to think it probably looks different to an accelerometer if the whole place is shaking Yeah. versus uh, on your body or something more minor. But who knows? Either way, it's, a, it's interesting technology if people opt into it. And as mentioned in the article... There are a number of places that don't have these early detection systems, and you can just sort of instantly through this application and the phones that are in people's pockets, you can have a network of sensors. Hmm. It's a pretty cool development. Very cool. I've never experienced an earthquake, by the way. I've never been been in an earthquake. So you wouldn't really opt in. I, mean, I don't have a reason to. I don't think we don't have earthquakes really, yeah. at least not significant ones over here. Hmm. You know what? I take that back. I experience. I have in California. I've experienced a California. small. Yeah, I've experienced a small, a very small earthquake. I was like, well, I was like, have I been drinking? Or it wasn't enough to say, oh, that's an earthquake. But then yeah. you find out after, oh yeah, that was a minor. You look it up as a minor earthquake that you felt. Were you scared? No, because I thought I didn't think anything of it. It was oh. so minor. Okay, this is an update on a previous story that we did. And you remember this story about iPhone camera lenses for the upcoming iPhone 12 that were coming from a particular supplier but were subpar and were shattering when they were doing the tropical test with the condensation? Mm -hmm. That company came out after Ming-Chi Kuo's report and said, he was, and, and said, no, we don't, we're not having any problems. How dare you? Yeah, that's They're, offensive to us. They were mad at Ming him. They, a, a genius electronic optical came out and refuted the report. So Ming-Chi in the hot water. 
They said, hey, bud, get your act together here. Or who knows? Maybe maybe he's going to dispute it now and say, nah, nah, nah. They're trying to cover up my intel's good. Defend himself. I don't know. he should. But we don't know. We don't know the the truth of the matter. They uh, refuted the report, maintaining that its production is still running without issues and that demand from its clients remains normal. See, here's the thing. Well, you're a manufacturer like Genius Electronic Optical, and all of a sudden you're in the news because Ming Chi is talking about you, and you're just making these tiny little lens covers or coatings. Mm-hmm. And you're like, hey, man, we're just getting going here. We got this big contract. Yeah. You're, putting us, you're putting us on blast like that? Oh. And so, oh, no, no, no. They have a little meeting. They say, you know what? We're going to call out Ming Chi. And then someone else at the table says, you sure you want to call out Ming Chi? He's always all over this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, this might not go well for you. And they say, no. Let's cancel them. Yeah, that's, this Do is the, te- yeah, they, they've attempted it. I don't think it's going to work. Uh, either way, the report didn't really matter that much because Apple has other suppliers for these goods. They were already working with this other company called Largan Precision as a lens supplier. So, you know, Apple's going to get it done. Mm-hmm. There's people who can make this stuff, but it's worth updating because we don't want people out there thinking that Genius Electronic Opticals got issues when they say they don't. Right. They say we got a superior product. You want to make a smartphone? Come see Genius Optical. And perhaps like uh, another update if uh, Ming-Chi decides to rebuttal. Oh, a Ming-Chi. Re- oh. A Ming-Chi rebuttal. You're talking about a showdown. Yeah. You're talking about a battle. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see if that takes place. It's funny because typically these types of suppliers are uh, uh, lips sealed mm-hmm. when they're supplying for Apple. They would never respond to anything like this. So it is surprising that they did. I wonder if Apple allowed it, if they had to clear that in advance. But uh, they're definitely chatting. Maybe they're going to hear from Tim. Tim's going to be like, look, I know you're right, but we can't have you out here in the news beefing with Ming Chi. Yeah. Because that's not what we normally do. Uh, we have specs on the. Mi 10 Ultra, which we talked about on the previous episode. So at the time, we were filming it right before the press release went out. And so a lot of stuff was speculative. And and it was the headline story of the show. So it was the first one that we were looking at. Uh, this Ultra thing, they're trying to target the various Ultra models from Samsung, obviously. And at that at that time... We were speculating that it might actually have an 865 plus Snapdragon chip in it, like a real super phone. It turns out that's not the case. It's going to have a regular 865 in it, which is not the end of the world. That's that's a nice chip. And we have the other specs that came out along with the press release, including up to 16 gigs of RAM, a 4500 milliamp hour battery. The 16 gigs of RAM is going to come in a configuration with 512 gigs of storage. It'll be the premium model. The entry-level model is 128, storage 8 gigs of RAM. And the starting price is the interesting part. is around 700 bucks for this, which mm. uh, if you're comparing it to Samsung's Ultras, that's going to, well, you're going to save a few bucks. They also have this really cool transparent edition, which you can see there, where you can uh, catch a glimpse, I guess, at what the interior of the device may look like. They've done these types of... Uh, styles in the past they've I, I suppose been relatively popular it's going to have some crazy fast charging so the 120 aspect from a marketing perspective is not just referring to it's got a bunch of 120s so it's it's the zoom which is a hybrid 120 to be clear 
It's going to have 120-watt charging, 41% battery in 5 minutes, 100% in 23 minutes. That's the advertised charging. It'll have reverse wireless charging, fast wireless charging at 50 watts, 100% in 40 minutes over wireless. It also has a 120 hertz display. That's the other 120 aspect with 800 nits of brightness, which I know you like, Will. It's got Gorilla Glass on there. 1080 by 2340, 386 PPI. It's a 6.67 inch OLED display. So these are some pretty decent specs and you get your price in there around 700 bucks and you're saying, you know what? I want my Ultra for less. It's not bad. It's not bad, but we got you got to see how Very the nice. uh, battery performs. But look, Xiaomi's been about this value for money thing. This thing's going to launch in China first. We're going to see it. I don't know. Maybe they'll send us one. We'll check it out in person. But uh, yeah, it's got a uh, look. If you're a spec chaser, like I said, it's not an 865 plus. But if you're a spec chaser, and and you got around 700 bucks, you're looking at something that might be something. Yep. Xiaomi's see-through TV. It's an OLED TV, which is transparent. It's going to cost quite a few dollars. It's to celebrate Xiaomi's 10-year anniversary, $7,200 for a 55-inch OLED. So you know you can find a cheaper one, but you can't see through that one. And I was reading this thing, trying to figure out exactly, like, what is this beyond a kind of conversation piece? Why would you want a transparent display? What kind of environment would that be suitable for? You have to have something behind the display that makes it worthwhile to see through. Yeah, not like a bunch of wires. Or a Plugs. wall. Or a wall, yeah. Uh, right, you want You would have to have it in the middle of a room somewhere. Mm -hmm. Or in front of a window, maybe. Which typically isn't the optimal way to view something because you got the bright light coming through the window. But I don't know. Some super modern environment. Possibly all the electronics are hidden down in the bottom there. And when you turn it on... Then the screen comes to life and you can see the whatever the OLED is producing. But when it's turned off, it's a see-through, it's a translucent panel. And there's a there obviously there's a lot of questions with this thing. In fact, in this Verge article, it's more questions than answers, kind of similar to the way in which I'm discussing it. It they talk about the specs. It's got a MediaTek 9650 chip. They talk about the size, the AI smart engine, 120 hertz refresh rate, one millisecond response time and all that, but as far as what is the transparent quality? Is it 100% see-through? Does it have, what is the opacity? What about when it's turned on? Do I still sort of see through it or not at all? Maybe right, there's like a camera behind. Nope. And it's just showing off. Whatever. I don't believe so. I don't oh. believe so. If you listen to the tech here, uh, it's using transparent OLED tech, T-OLED. Oh. And... Uh, these screens use transparent components all the way through the stack that make up the screen with no need for backlighting, which is an OLED thing. Each diode emits its own light. That's an OLED thing. But typically with OLED, you have a reflective layer, which would pre prevent you from seeing through it. This time you don't. There's no cathode. There's no layer be behind it. So it's just the OLED. Dude, I don't know, man. Is there a video? Has anybody... Because LG has worked on stuff like this before, right? Mm. So let me do a quick T-OLED. Just make sure we get to the bottom of this here. T-OLED video. Here we go. We got a 55-inch multi-touch multi here from a company called MMT T-OLED. 
And I'm sure this is the technology right here. See, my concern is that the image quality is going to take a hit in order to, to have this. Yeah, see what I'm saying? Is that good? You want to watch like that? I understand no. for digital signage, it looks cool. Not at all. For digital signage, it looks cool, but the reflections are just through the roof. I don't know. Is this just strictly a wow factor or have they figured out a way to do it? I don't. We're going to have to wait to see because these demonstrations here, it just looks frustrating. Yeah, maybe it's like a nice UI scenario. I, I don't know. I, I, look, if you have a touch screen and you want it to be translucent and it's like a place where you're, you need to interact with the display but also see through it, I get it. Yeah. In certain applications, but know. for Something an actual like TV cool. in your place, it seems it would be reflective and frustrating to yes. not have that layer behind. Mm -hmm. Maybe this application is going to be different. We'll have to wait and see. And maybe people in an ultra-modern type of environment wouldn't care. They'd be like, I don't care about the image quality because... It is such a see-through. It's such a show like piece. Cat through the TV. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's seventy-two hundred bucks. It's definitely a show piece for a fifty-five inch. We have to wait and see exactly uh, how that maps out. Yeah. If it's something that anybody really wants, it, it, or is it one of those things that looks good in pictures and then once you get it, it's just mm. total frustration. Rivian released a new video, a progress report from its factory in Normal, Illinois. Imagine you're you're in a town called Normal. Like, where are you from, Will? Normal. How do you feel today? Normal. What kind of uh, breakfast did you eat? A normal one. Yeah. The, the people who live there are so sick of these types of jokes. Yeah, they, they must be, eh? They, I've heard it all before. Yeah. Shut up already. Normal. I actually like the name. I think it's kind of cool. Uh -huh. Normal is kind of cool. It could be like a high-end brand clothing brand. It probably already is. It could just be called Normal. It's like, you know, the basics or basics. Yeah. No, maybe or maybe it's not. Maybe it's the most abnormal stuff, but the company's called Normal. Mm. It's like a new kind of type flip of normal. the script. I don't yeah. know. Well, it's cool. You anyway, know. they uh, released this progress report, this video, and I love it. I love this video. It's a behind the scenes kind of transparency. It's an update. And you're walking around with the CEO and he's super impressed with what he finds. And he's, he's looking at the rims. They got a 500,000 square foot facility ready for their robots. He talks about how their assembly robots are going to be done in the Rivian teal tone that the truck's going to ship in. It's going to, it's, 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 it really lets you in on the process. Mm. And, it makes it feel more real for anyone who's interested in buying one of these things. We know Rivian is well-funded. We know they're well-poised. And then a, a quick look behind the scenes here helps you realize it. That they're going to they're gonna be making trucks. And they're probably going to be making good ones. Yeah. I noticed that they have the logo on their helmet as well. It's mm -hmm. very profesh. It, it, the whole <laughs> thing feels way more professional. The scale of them as a startup is different because of all the investment they got. They're just really poised here and they're doing an inspection of all the parts that arrive. He talks about the packaging, everything's renewable. They're the crates with which things ship in. They, they're able to reuse them to do other things and send them back and use them more than once. And uh, it's just, everything is inspected. It makes me feel, <coughs> it, it makes me feel very confident 
and, and Will's dying over there. He's so impressed. <coughs> He's so impressed that he has, uh, it's gone down the wrong tube. This Rivian vi video went down the wrong tube for Will. Sorry. He's got the golf cart. He's touring the facility with the logo, the golf cart logo. And if you just go a little forward in this video here, you'll see one of these things roll off the assembly line or to roll a little bit. See, their crates are called Ocean in the Wind. They make them out of ocean plastic and then they reuse them. He's so proud of it. Anyway, he shows one of the teal ones in here and it looks very impressive to me. There it is. <coughs> Maybe want to cough. Well, no, 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 that's not the clip. I want that's not the clip. A little bit sooner. Let's see here. That's where the robot. Oh, right there. Look at that. Pop. Yeah. Look at that. I mean, I know it's a close up and everything, but I see it in the indoor facility, and I think to myself, man, these guys got a polished looking and unique looking product. Mm. I don't know if you agree with me, Will. But I'm thinking Rivian's going to do it for it's real. It's an interesting color. Look, I that like run it. right there. I think Rivian's going to do it. You think so? I'm just a guy. Are you going to get one? Yeah, I'm going to get one. Well, I'm, I'm just a guy. All right, but I think I ordered the Cybertruck. But anyways, I'm get just both. a guy here. I'm looking and I'm thinking and I'm just and I'm reacting. And I watch this video and my confidence goes up in the company. And I just go, man. They 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 they've really got a facility here, and I know it's easy to bamboozle you. You know, a camera f uh, follows a guy around. You edit it a little bit, you put on a few hard hats, and all of a sudden you're real. Maybe they maybe they left the, the plant that day and they're like, "Wow, that video went great," and they're not actually doing anything. Yeah. It's possible, but I watched the video, and I'm really optimistic about the company. And it looks to me like they have a product that is going to be interesting to people. And uh, and I'm I'm excited for it. They have the funding, and they appear to have the people. I know they've been hiring like crazy, and you know personally, I think the options in this space are really good. And I'm excited for the EV pickup truck battle that's uh, impending here, or has already started. Mm -hmm. Exciting. Yeah, exciting. Definitely. Shroud has returned to Twitch under a new exclusive deal. People were wondering how this was going to work out because it was kind of a, it was a three-headed monster in the streaming world and in the streaming news. You had Ninja, Disrespect, and Shroud. Mm -hmm. And once upon a time, Shroud was part of the migration over to Mixer. The rumor was it was like a $10 million deal. Ninja had a $30 million deal. That was the rumor. They go to Mixer, Disrespect signs an exclusive deal with Twitch until whatever happened there, and we still don't really know, but he's on YouTube now, at least partially, although that deal looks to be non-exclusive. Mm. Ninja still appears to be up in the air, too. He has streamed in both places, YouTube and Twitch. Maybe he's still negotiating. Shroud, on the other hand, goes back to Twitch, goes back to his something like 7 million, 7.1 million follower count, has a fancy, flashy uh, announcement video saying he's going home. I'm coming home. You see it? It has a... 226,000 hearts. People were waiting because he hadn't streamed at all in a long time. And in the video, it has weapons in it. And this guy's who's a real Counter-Strike pro. Did you know that, Well, He was, yes. Yeah. Well, easy. I apologize for uh, suggesting that you might not know that. 
Of course, I, you know. I never really watched his stuff, but uh, yeah, I'm aware. He will return to Twitch after a 10 month absence. Of course, this includes the Mixer deal, which he likely got paid out on anyways. That was the rumor when yeah. Mixer shut down. They still, these guys still got paid. And then he can go back and cut some other deal with Twitch now. Now, the curious part is he gets his Twitch deal done. Why didn't the other guys? Or why, first of all, we st- we're not going to find out why Disrespect got kicked off, but why didn't, why hasn't Ninja come to a similar deal? He's got a tremendous number of followers sitting there ready to go on Twitch. Are the numbers not right, or does he just need to stay open-ended, want to stay open-ended? We don't really know, but it's got to be a comfy thing for a guy like Shroud to go back to Twitch after 10 months away, having experimented on Mixer and having those 7 million followers sitting there waiting to see what might happen. I guess his account got reactivated. Reactivated, baby. From scratch. Reactivated, baby. I mean, what? But I don't know that it necessarily had to be deactivated in the first place, right? If we, if I go start some next YouTube channel or go somewhere else, I can just leave it. Yeah, I guess Twitch. They, I, I thought they had some sort of bitter. I don't think you would, would you? I mean, people might want to watch those vods or. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah, unless Mixer would have said, "Hey, you got to shut that down," but he probably wouldn't agree to that. Neither would I. Mm. I'd say we'll just leave it while this deal is is going. I'm not going to throw away seven million followers either. Mm-hmm. So. Anyways, we don't know exactly uh, what this new deal is worth. We just know that it's exclusive to Twitch. We know you can catch him on Twitch right now, and it's the only place you're going to catch him is on Twitch. At least with streaming, I'm sure the clips can go up wherever else. So one of the three has has a new exclusive home out of that group, the big three. Mm-hmm. And we'll wait to see what happens with the other guys. But uh, congrats, I guess, to Shroud for sorting that out and mm-hmm. and coming back to streaming. That's uh, exciting news. You get the exciting video, the comeback video. Is the Tesla Cybertruck actually bulletproof? We were talking about trucks. We saw the Rivian truck. That one's not bulletproof. Is But the Cybertruck, it might be bulletproof. We're talking about cold rolled steel. Cold rolled. It sounds great. It's, it reminds me of ice cream because of the, the cold stone. Cold stone, yeah. Yeah, so I think of ice cream. But I also think of whether or not it's bulletproof. Because, uh, no, not ice cream. Steel. Yes. Because Elon, you know, when they brought the truck out, they were smashing it. They smashed the glass. They talk about steel. They they hammered a steel. Steel is durable. We love steel. And uh, this is some pretty serious steel. So this guy took it upon himself to get him himself a piece of the same steel that will likely be used on the Cybertruck. He's got a slab of it. 304 series, stainless steel cold rolled and he starts firing bullets at it he fires a 22 and he does not penetrate it he fires a nine millimeter full metal jacket and he eventually works his way up to a rifle round and it turns out that it's yeah this stuff's pretty serious Hmm. these uh, at least these these smaller rounds do not penetrate it even at a relatively close range now, the problem is he does, he goes on to do some other durability tests in this video, video as well. With this same steel, he uses keys and a knife and he attempts to scratch it. Mm. And that's a weird one because, you know, I think most people at some point in their lives have experienced a scratch on their vehicle. Mm-hmm. And if you, have, if you have a paint, which all vehicles, have, most vehicles have paint, somehow I guess have a wrap. You can you can get the paint fixed up. 
-hmm. You can go to a paint shop. Some people might touch it up themselves, depending how small, if it's a chip or something like that. When you have a stainless steel vehicle, that's not really an option. You can buff some scratches out, but a deeper scratch, yeah. you might not be able to buff it out. So he goes over it with some keys, and it's not really too bad. But once he hits it with the knife, uh, it's not the best look. And I don't know what the idea here is. Maybe you have a cyber truck and it's a truck and it's meant to be beaten up a little bit and you wear it like battle scars. If it gets mm -hmm. scratched, whatever. But I could see some owners maybe not being into that. By the way, this video, the quality of it, it's a little rough. Mm. But he hits it, he hits it with the knife, and these are some pretty ugly looking scratches. And so you can imagine if you if you ding this thing up. You got to be kind of comfortable with the uh, post-apocalyptic stainless steel beat-up look right? on the scratch front. Now, maybe there are some things they can do to the surface. There was some talk of, uh, uh, we said, with the coloring that changes with heating. If you heat the surface, you can change it. I don't know what the final product. This is obviously not the final product. He's using a similar steel product, the rumored steel product that they would use. They may be able to harden it further. He hits it with a hammer. He dents it. So you just get an idea of what a beat-up Cybertruck might look like. I think you embrace it. Yeah. Kind of like leather. Kind of like leather. You know? You embrace you the battle the scars yeah. on your Cybertruck. That's going to be a hard sell for some people. They get the specked-out version of the Cybertruck. Right. Some luxury buyers are used to having this pristine type of thing. But yeah, at the end of the day, it's stainless steel. It's durable, but... It's 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 like when you have the stainless steel appliance. It's got the fingerprints and it just mm. it has a look to it. Yeah. You kind of have to be comfortable with that. But you can watch the video for yourself. You probably should if you're curious. We'll see what Elon can do about it. But it is cool that it's going to stop those bullets. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, uh, Willie do you going to be out there? You can be out there in public and not worry too much. Mhm. Mm Cuz I know you're a high profile guy. Yeah. This one is near and dear to your heart, Will, and I feel like I should just let you take the microphone on this one. Because you've been talking about this since day one. And uh, I mean, I'm I'm interested too, obviously. We're talking about Halo, Halo Infinite. And we were both excited to see it uh, on the next generation Xbox and to see it at launch with the next generation Xbox. We saw you and I were easy on the on the preview, not the trailer, but the gameplay preview. We were just excited that it's coming. We were out. easy. Yeah. We looked at it and we said we we were optimistic. And there's gameplay, you know. But other pe everybody else, they chewed it right up. They said, that's not next generation. Get on my face with that. <clears throat> and they went yeah. after the developers. And uh, and look, I mean, there was a f plenty of fair points made. Yes, absolutely. Pl plenty of fair points made. And the developers sat there and they said, you know what? We're going to delay this indefinitely. Check us out in 2021 at some point. Yeah. We're not going to make launch. And... Uh, Go ahead, Will. You take the microphone. I have I have my ideas too, but I feel like you, you say what you want to say first. Well, I mean, first of all, I would I'm glad that it actually got delayed. With uh, development, game development, it could be really tough, you know, especially during crunch time. Uh, it's usually when game is about to, you know, be released, and then developers have to work late hours and spend a lot of time doing the finishing touches, which requires a lot of time and hard work. Um, and it's pretty much like every other video game or like movie or stuff like that. So 
I mean, good on them for actually uh, delaying it. That's all I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, and, and yeah. I think I think a number of people in the community agree with your sentiment on that. I think a number of people in the com community get it. They would rather them get it right. Yeah, let's just wait. They would rather them get it right. But here's the big problem. The big problem is the console wars that are about to take place, I and hear you, people man. are going to have to choose one platform no. or the other. And and the Xbox, as this as this headline indicates, that this is going to be very damaging to the Xbox Series X adoption in the first place. Mm -hmm. And people might just say, "I'll just wait on buying the Xbox Series X." Yeah, because I'm waiting. This is the title I was waiting for, and it was the only triple A style exclusive that they had going on not that playstation has that many uh, playstation has that miles morales game and yeah the spider-man but but playstation was already very popular it was already outselling the xbox now this here might just continue that uh that trend forward plus playstation has the recent success of titles like the last of us this is outlined in this particular article mm -hmm. the last of us and what's the other one ghosts of uh Tashima? Yeah. Yes. They have that, and they can do a remastered 4K version. Right. And they're exclusive, and it could be at launch. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, you're looking at those two options. You got the PlayStation, those two titles remastered. You got the Spider-Man games, not a full game, but Spider-Man games are pretty good. And, and then you have over here the Xbox. You have the cloud gaming, which it looks good what they're working on there. But then the titles you're waiting for. Yeah, we really needed halo halo was going to push the console and then because it was going to be an exclusive it was going to be a bigger user base and more people to play it and now if anybody flips and goes with the playstation i don't know people can tell me xbox fans playstation fans in the audience here if the absence of halo would possibly make you switch sides and and pick up a playstation this time around because the shape the, the the part that's a shame about that is you have the Halo Infinite developers. They go back to the drawing board. They take the extra time because they should do it. But then you got to do extra work to convince people to play the game once it does finally come out because they may have just shifted and purchased the other console. Mm -hmm. And now they got to get another one yeah, if they're going to play your game. So it's a tough, it's a real tough situation to be in. And it will absolutely hurt the Xbox. It's impossible that it couldn't hurt the Xbox. Mm -hmm. If it was sitting there at launch, I'm buying an Xbox, I'm just... I'm talking about as, as a citizen. I'll have both of them in the studio to do videos and all that. But I'm talking as a citizen. That's an easy nostalgia factor, Halo fan, bingo. And now the story gets a bit more complicated, for, especially for people who are on the fence about which side they were going right. to go with. It's, a, it's some real tough, tough stuff. And also, you were mentioning earlier the Cyberpunk game, yeah. uh, 2077, also delayed, right? Well, there's a possibility. It's, so it's still up for discussion. So that could have held people off, but then mm -hmm. we'll see what happens with that. Jeff Bezos has some advice for you. Well, he has advice just for you. Mm. Yeah. Don't worry about the news article. He called me up and said, I got some advice for Will. Okay. That's a <laughs> businessman himself. I just These you know, are just funny headlines because. If you're Jeff Bezos, right, you're the richest guy in the world, then if you have regular conversations with people, it can be news. Mm. And so he's got a pal who's a famous fashion designer, got a few bucks himself, uh, 
fairly successful guy. And uh, this guy does an interview, and then he shares a piece of advice that Jeff Bezos gave to him, and now we're on Business Insider, and now we're on Lou Later. Mm. Because it's interesting. People want to know. Well, people want advice. Yeah, how'd you do it? Bezos? Yeah, people want advice, and uh, people want to improve their lives. And I don't know if Bezos is the right guy. You know what I mean? He has a unique ex life experience, but you have to believe there's certain strategies that he employs that have led to these outcomes. Mm -hmm. Anyway, the important piece of information in this article is that you should make decisions at 10.30 a.m. Oh, that's uh, very early. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he suggests that you should, any major decision you should sleep on, and you should wait to make that decision at this optimal moment after you have uh, woken up having slept on it and you're in the correct frame of mind to make that decision because we're emotional creatures mm. humans <clears throat> and we're subpar later in the afternoon you know that nappy feeling right. you, get? you asked me to go get you the coffee yes and and certainly in the evening you're a different person like you're just it's amazing you flip flop around all day long like a fish out of water yeah so the most optimal time to be a human being is 10.30 a.m.? <laughs> I don't know to be a human being, but to make uh, critical decisions. He, he says it works for him. Normally, I make important decisions around 10.30 a.m. I'll discuss it the day before. I'll sleep on it. And in the morning, I'll actually make the decision. Hmm. So someone could come up to you and say, make the decision. And you say, wait, I'll get back to you tomorrow morning. Yeah, 10.30 a.m. Yeah, I slept on it. I had a little bit more time. But I see on the flip side, you can think about something for too long and sort of been, be stuck there, indecisive. And I see people uh, struggle with that too. Yeah. And so I think you put the deadline on it and you say, how much time am I really going to consider this thing before making decisions, regardless if it's go for it or don't go for it. Mm. Sleep on it one time and then decide how you're going to proceed. Mm. Anyway, this original conversation came up. They had some, some kind of... Uh, Successful Businessman Summit, which included Bezos, Reed Hoffman, Drew Houston, and Dick Costolo. And they met up in Italy. Once upon a time, they were a guest at this fashion designer's house. This guy, uh, his name is Brunello Cuccinelli. And he actually has been, he, he has been making t-shirts for Zuckerberg, $400 custom t-shirts for a while as well. He's a favorite in Silicon Valley. And so they have these uh, these type of chats, ten about 10.30 a.m. and what you should be doing at 10.30 a.m. And who knows, Will, after, if you play your cards right, you might end up at these type of conversations. Very soon. Uh, well, first of all, you have to make it out of here. Yeah. And first of all, you have to get a cyber truck so you can avoid all those assassin assassination attempts. There you go. And then And then you can have... Hey man, <laughs> I thought we I'm were, saying, and then uh, you can have like dinner with these guys, or maybe you should have breakfast with them at 10:30 a.m. All right, you can cut me now. 